wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the first of the month. Good morning, everybody, and happy hump day. Um, we are back with another jam-packed mortgage market update. Um, we're going to be talking about things from national uh, credit debt and credit scores all the way to appraisals and what we've been seeing uh, trend-wise here at I Think Mortgage. But before we do that, let me first introduce my co-star, Matthew Stansberry. What up? Good morning, everybody. I hope y'all are having a great day. It is the first of the month. Uh, we're joined today with a fellow loan officer, Yvonne Godina, or known as YG. Ooh, hello, hello. I'm so excited to be here, guys. <laughs> I always want to come and kind of vague y'all's little yeah. podcast. This is cool. <laughs> yes. This is a cool vibe. YG shot me a text yesterday and said, hey, do you have anybody that wants to join on Wednesday? I said, on hump day? Heck yeah, you are. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> sign me up, sign me up, I'm here. That's awesome. And we've got some good things to talk about uh, today and hopefully give the listeners, viewers, um, some really good value and insight to what we get to see every day. So without further ado, let's jump into our interest rates. All right, so today we are looking at, and obviously these rates are from the uh, yesterday, the last day of the month in February, but we're looking at a 6.85 national average rate for a conventional 30-year fixed, um, and as usual, we're skipping over the 15-year, uh, the jumbo, and the 5-1 arm, going straight to the government loans, which are FHA 30-year fixed at 6.33, and your VA sitting at 6.35, keeping in mind that this is a national average. Um, and it's important that we understand that because we're getting ready to um, play you a quick video that um, sheds light, gives an opinion, um, but puts things in perspective in regards to North and South and how we rate on the credit scale. So JC, if you want to jump over take to that, it away. take it away, take it away. The South with Crystal terrible Mountain. credit. Well, guys, I got a little mystery for you today. Take a look at this map. So this was recently published in an economics paper. It was analyzed here by the Washington Post. This shows the nation's average credit scores by county. Dark blue is bad. Mustard brown, I guess you'll call that, is good. And an obvious trend leaps off the page. The South as a region has abysmal credit scores, starting in Southern Virginia and in Appalachia and creeping all the way down to the panhandle of Florida and over to Texas. You see a whole lot of people who are struggling with a lot of debt. Now, you might think this is a really simple story of class, and in a sense it is. Overall, places with higher poverty do have lower credit scores. But this dynamic did not come close to accounting for this highly regional and very specific phenomena. Even in wealthy areas in the South, people had lower FICO scores than their Midwestern counterparts. Now, that's a terrible situation for Southerners. There are few things as pernicious as debt for constraining your life choices and crippling you with stress and anxiety. Throughout history, debt has actually been used as a tool of control. You can think of the company store and mining towns where workers would end up with debts they could not pay and effectively working as indentured servants. Or you can think about the IMF and the World Bank, which lend developing countries money, and then they use that debt as leverage to force shock doctrine, neoliberal policies onto them. When a person is in debt, their freedom is constrained. Now, debt and bad credit can quickly mount into financial ruin and personal disaster. How are you going to finance a car when yours dies? How are you going to get an apartment? And for those who are already behind financially, a low credit score means you will be paying brutally high interest rates, helping to feed a cycle where you just get further and further behind. So what is causing this regional crisis of debt and of bad credit? Hit pause Let me show right you there. another map that is going to make it 
Okay, we're going to come back to this video, but before we do, I want to have a quick discussion. Um, opinions, because it, it, we obviously saw from that map that it's not uh, uh, an opinion that uh, the North has better credit than the South. It's a fact. They have better credit than us. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is the reason? We're going to go back to what she thinks the reason is, and she bases it on data and whatnot, but I'd like to get y'all's take on it. What do you think? So I think for me, it's I think gonna, mortgage, but I, I think mortgage, think? right? Um, it's going to be medical, medical debt, as I think going to be a huge property as far as why yeah. um, people are struggling. And we went through seasons with different administrations mm -hmm. that insurance increase where the average working, you know, sure. individual struggled just to pay their medical and right you know, obligation, and then to have debts that come aside for that from their co-pays mm -hmm. to insurance to everything. I think it's going to be medical. But I mean, I, I, I get that perspective. But I mean, there are folks in the north that also have medical situations that mm -hmm. arise. I mean, it's I, just human nature, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And then, um, you know, medical being huge, I feel like <laughs> the way that they're capitalizing it, on it is more so the demographic that they're they're mm -hmm. hitting you know you look at the areas you know within texas that were highlighted in dark blue and those sections happen to be along the border right sure. so the demographic is mostly hispanic right and is it i i think so i mean i don't know if they're I, canadian I, eh? I, I, right? <laughs> but, but I, I think that demographic too you think of all the medical issues that you run into with the eating and whatnot and yeah leads to them going to the hospital having these issues sure. which they're capitalizing on which none of them have medical insurance or if they do they didn't take care uh they didn't take advantage of like you know the obamacare when it was a thing right and uh, led to all these medical expenses that they couldn't pay for. So then, I mean, you said something that is pretty um, on the money is they didn't take advantage of the Obama thing. We're typically Republicans down here, whether you're Mexican, white, his, it doesn't matter. Um, we're more conservative than anything. Now, I will tell you and shout out to my dad, um, who was unfortunately incorrect about some of these things, but you only know what you know. Um, his motto was, I'm not paying any of my medical if if the insurance that I've been paying my whole life does not cover it, then go ahead, hit my hit my credit with it. Um, and lo and behold, he actually won in the long run. Why? Because medical is now becoming that thing that uh, Congress is going after to get gone from our credit or yep. to put restrictions in place to say, hey, you can't charge them that. I mean, you can't. Um, have that looming over them because there are other things that they've got to do in their life. And this medical situation where you've got people in Canada where medical collection, what the hell is that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like what? I mean, I guess one of the benefits now that they released back in June last year was if you do pay off your medical collections, that'll get deleted from your credit report. Right. Well, now so, they can't even report it if it's more than more, less than less, 500. Less than 500. Correct. And those are great things, in my opinion. But let's uh, let's go back to this video and finish it off and see what she has to say, because she's got some data backing her response. Pretty clear. This one is too, also courtesy of the Washington Post here. And it's a map of medical debt. According to credit data Bingo. from the Urban Institute that's quoted in this article, 92 of the 100 counties with the highest share of adults struggling with medical debt, they're all in the South. The remainder are in neighboring states, Oklahoma and Missouri. 
Now, when you think about it, it makes total sense. Medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in America, and the total size of this crushing debt burden, it's actually even bigger than we had previously imagined. Recent research found that $140 billion in medical debt is now in collections. That's nearly double previous Ooh. estimates from back in 2016. Between 2009 and 2020, medical debt actually became the single largest source of debt that is currently held by collections agencies. Now, I want you to understand other wealthy nations would look at this as utter insanity and a moral atrocity because it is. We ruin people, we destroy their lives because they happen to get sick. And there's a very specific reason why Southern states are the ones with the highest levels of medical debt and the worst attendant credit scores. It's not an accident. It's not about overall poverty. It is a specific political choice. These are the states where governors decided they would rather virtue signal about how much they hate Obama than expand Medicaid as part of the Affordable Care Act. Now, look, I am not a big fan of Obamacare as it left the status quo system largely unchanged with health insurers, hospitals, every other part of the crop for-profit healthcare system feeding like pigs at the trough while patients continue to get screwed. But Obamacare was an improvement over the previous corrupt, disgusting, immoral system. And now, after having been law for over a decade, states that went forward with the full Medicaid expansion have significantly separated from states that did not on that metric of medical debt. According to the New York Times, the states that have declined to expand Medicaid, particularly in the South, started out having more medical debt before Obamacare passed. And since other states have expanded Medicaid, that chasm has grown wider. In 2020, Americans living in states that did not expand Medicaid owed an average of $375 more than those in states that participated in the program, that is roughly a 30% increase from the gap that existed the year before enactment. Wow. Now, you could wow. see on that chart how the sooner you expand in Medicaid to cover working class people, the better as a state you're faring on medical debt. But let's not forget, the existence of such a chart at all is a total failure. It's not just in the South, where politicians have made political choices that have immiserated their constituents. It's the entire nation. Debt and the poor credit scores that come along with it are real constraints on freedom and the ability to pursue happiness. We all deserve the freedom to go to the doctor when we need to, to be able to take off work to recover, and to not have our lives ruined because we happen to get sick. Nearly everyone accepts this, yet nothing changes. Not because we can't make other choices, but because political elites, bankrolled by those who profit off the current system, do everything in their power to block change and convince you that it's all impossible. Well, um, we were all right. <laughs> um, and I think it's important for folks to know um, where they stand in the grand scheme of things to give that big P word that we use quite often perspective perspective mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm like what which word are we going to use <laughs> potential potential to view properties oh, yeah. Duh. Um, but the idea behind uh, us showing that video to you guys is to enlighten you um to shed some light on a situation that can only get better if we get better. So um, I think if we as individuals understand how medical debt works, um, your lenders can advise you on what you can do to get rid of it. Um, if you jump over to YouTube or any of uh, our other channels, you can see um, some literature or some, some tips on how to get rid of some medical debt. And as uh, YG mentioned a moment ago, anything under $500 that is medical and in collections, uh, reach out to them and get that gone. You don't need to have that in there anymore. Um, and 
it will help you. If you look at, I would say, gosh, how many credit reports do we look at in a month? We look, a lot. We look at a lot. A but, lot. you know, I learned something exciting from both of you guys. Um, we had a client that had a collection for like $97. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not too sure, but I think it was you. Mm-hmm. And you said, get the client just to pay it mm-hmm. and get a letter of deletion. Correct. Yep. Their credit jumped up like 49 points. Correct. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen on everyone, but... I mean, it made such a difference on qualifying. And I'll reiterate that uh, to the folks listening. If you have medical debt and it is currently in collections. Now, prior to this, I've been using this strategy for many, many years. And it's just knowing the concept of if the debtor is paid in full, they're not going to reach out anymore to try and collect. They're not going to rebut any kind of dispute that you place on the item either. So therefore, it's going to fall off the credit report as if it never happened before. Um, And it is true that when something falls off of your credit, it's like it was never there. The idea behind it is you're not here to negotiate. You're here to get your credit back because you, in fact, did owe the money. I mean, there's no way around it or else it wouldn't be there. There are very, very few instances that um, it is an error on the medical company, the collect, whatever the case, very, very few um, scenarios that it is accurate or inaccurate. Um, so in those scenarios, you call that collector and essentially ask them, offer, I will pay you what you owe. In return, can you give me a letter of deletion? I think the key to this whole thing working is being the nice, nicest person mm-hmm. you possibly can be, uh, understanding that the person on the other line is a human just like you, and um, they truly control whether they give it to you or not. Yeah. Right. Uh, so be the best you you can be as well when you're speaking to them because they're standing between you and a better credit score and a better future for that matter. And that collection agency isn't even the one that billed you. No. They're just picking up the tab and saying, we'll run with it. Correct. Collect these funds. Buying those things for pennies on the dollar to try and collect. It's just mm-hmm. a business model. Yeah. Yep. Um, so just the like, next... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say business model, just like medical. Yeah, just like <laughs> medical. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Good point. Um, so now let's get into um, something that I believe you guys should know out there because there's a lot of hoopla going about uh, our property values are uh, crashing or going backwards, um, things of that nature. And we have some proof for you today. So we're going to get into a couple of different appraisals. um, And then what we're going to do is for tomorrow's uh, market update, we're actually going to teach you how to read an appraisal. Um, So we can't go too far down this rabbit hole. We're just going to show you a couple of scenarios that uh, recently came in. Um, But then tomorrow, We'll we'll dive deep into appraisals and show you how to read an appraisal because you as a uh, mortgage professional, real estate professional should know how to read an appraisal. If you're out there and you're a consumer watching this, by all means, if you know how to read an appraisal, you're ahead of everybody else. I promise you that. Um, So JC, let's throw those uh, appraisals on the screen. We've got three different ones that just came in. Um, And as you can see, I've redacted all of the pertinent information, the property address, the buyer, uh, that stuff is not there, but we do have the comp. So this one looks like the date on it is, when did it come in? Hey, I think this is my appraisal. I think it is one of yours. Um, JC, if you could scroll down to page two, right there, Uh, that should have the date somewhere on there. But I know it was in February. This was yeah, in February. This one, this one closed in February. Tell us about this. Oh, um, it was the 9th. It's down at the bo- very bottom. There you go. February 9th. Yep. Yeah. 
So this one was actually a pretty um, unique situation all the way around. Um, and I'm not too sure if I'm okay to say it, but the seller was open door. Yeah. And so we were doing a government loan on this one. And so this is an FHA um, appraisal that mm-hmm. we're looking at. And because the change of title was less than 180 days, we are required to get two, two appraisals, appraisals sure. right? Mm-hmm. Unless you've got some additional information. And so on this one, the actual sellers, which was Open Door, provided information oh, wow. on it so that we didn't have to get the appraisal on it. Um, and they were actually selling it, I think, almost 20K lower than what they wow. bought it for. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so Casey, if you, if you watching... could scroll up a little bit more. No, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. Down. Move, move the page up. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And I'll tell you when to stop. Right Keep going right there. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about with the iBuyers. Yes. That's exactly. That's why we're bringing this up. We're coming full circle. Well, half circle. Full circle will be tomorrow when we show you how to read these darn things. Um, But as you can see here, the sales price on this was $265. And the appraisal. uh, No, no. $267. Maybe. $260. Scroll up just a tad. Bring that page yeah right keep going keep going right right there, there. 268.5 so so 268,500 dollars is what this home contracted for and if you scroll back to show us that value one more time it's 285,000 285,000 what is that 17 16,500 16,500 that's mm-hmm. in equity instant equity right in addition to the down payment for having an FHA, so you subtract your 3.5% plus your 1.75 up front, and then you add your $16,500 in equity. Yeah, and you know Ooh. what was special about this one, which I'm sure you'll talk about tomorrow, but if you go down a little bit where it had the value, JC, um, it also shows that it was as... As uh, is? No, it showed not as is, it showed subject, subject to, repair. to repairs. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I want to say... Open door put about another twenty k into it. Wow! They fix foundation. Wow! They hydrostatic test. Sure. They did flooring, window. Like they put another twenty k in there. This is a good thing to talk about because um, there is this myth. Uh, JC, zoom in on me. Here we go. You have situations to where. Uh, uh, Repairs are requested by the appraiser, whether it be an engineer's report to find out if we need uh, foundation work or if it is fixing of the fence, something simple. But we've got a lot of realtors that will say, well, once we do these repairs, the value should go up. No, the appraiser is appraising the property given that the property is complete. Um, They don't go in and go, okay, now we're going to give you extra value because you're fixing what is supposed to already be fixed. (laughs) Okay, so myth busters again. Um, But yeah, let's go back to that. Yeah, because no matter what, the home needs a roof. You're not going to get more value just because you fixed the roof. That's exactly right. right. The foundation's messed up. You're not going to get more value that you need it to be structurally sound. That's right. Um, Let's go to the second appraisal. There we go. Hey, what's up? This one's mine too. Is it? All right. Why All right. Right. That one came in. It says as it as of uh, February sixth. Fe- February sixth. Also a very recent appraisal. So let's scroll down. Um, JC, kill that little deal on the side. Push that little arrow uh, next to the scroll. 
uh, on the PDF itself. See the sidebar? Nah, no, nope. well, that's okay. Go, go to the, go to the last one. There we go. Okay, All so right. the the one that we were just getting ready to get into actually came back at eighteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars over, yeah. and, and that one was as is. There wasn't any repairs needed. Um, but again, good chunk of change that I knew home buyers going into this new home, right. uh, knowing darn well that they have a cushion already day one. Right. But yet our values are crashing huh. for some reason. It's weird. <laughs> um, so this last one, um, and I'm not even going to call it an anomaly because it is happening. This is also another very recent appraisal uh, on one that Matt and I are doing um, that came back. <laughs> you know what? Let's, let's, let's scroll to the next page where it shows what it was sold for. Boom. Mm -hmm. Right there. So we're contracted for 360000 Okay, This is in the shirts area. Uh, so just outside of San Antonio, um, surrounding Hill Country, so to speak. Let's scroll that down so you can see the bottom of it. And drum roll. $400,000. 40K? $40,000 over. On top of the 5% down On top payment. of their 5% down payment that they're putting. It's... Something that I believe more people should know, and it allows us to drop the fear of becoming a homeowner thinking that you're going to lose value. In the end, are you really losing value in your property if you're not going to sell it anytime soon? Um, I think the understanding is that as long as you buy property, um, it's all about how long you can hold on to it because it, if you take a zoom out, you're going to make that money back regardless. I'm even going as far as to say that as long as you are able to hold the property, even the folks in California, yes, in California, will still win if they can hold the property long enough. That's just is what it is. Yep. Yep. You always win with property. <laughs> Not just in Texas. <laughs> but in Texas, we've got a whole bunch of equity. <laughs> yeah, especially after amazing. last year. That right? is amazing. Yeah. So what are y'all's thoughts on that kind of stuff? Are, what are you hearing from realtors in regards to negotiation? Because I'm getting a lot of folks that are like, oh, it's turning into a buyer's market. No, it's not. It's not turning into a buyer's market because that's based on inventory. Right. And we're not there yet. <laughs> right. I think we're still limited as far as um, inventory. I do think the market was making a slight correction mm -hmm. on some of the homes. Much needed. Right. Mm -hmm. About eight, nine months ago. I, I think back then I closed a property about eight months ago where it was 100K in over, over, yep. over, but that was, that was unreal. Like we just didn't know. So I think there's a slight correct correction, mm -hmm. but I don't think properties are going to like drop, no. like going to be crazy. I, I feel like, like the that. reason that we're seeing that a little bit more is that people need to sell, mm -hmm. right? So there's not a lot of people listing their home just to move laterally, laterally. Mm -hmm. right? So when you run into situations where somebody listed their house and it's been on the market for 20 to 30 days, the seller gets hesitant and they're like, hey, let's drop that price mm -hmm. because they need to get out of the house because maybe they're moving or something's yeah. come up or financially they can't afford it anymore. And then that's when you start seeing these pricing reductions. Yeah, I don't think you're seeing it across the board just because it's a buyer's market, especially when there's no inventory. Correct. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. The, the rule of thumb is six months of inventory or greater in order for it to flip to a buyer's market. Um, that's where the buyer dictates how much they're going to pay for this house. Why? Because there's 
unlimited options out there for them to pick from. If, right. they, if you don't sell it to them for what they're asking or for what they're offering, they'll go to the next one. Right. Mm-hmm. We're not in that situation. And I think right now we're like at two months, right? right. I yeah. think it just hit about three months. Okay. But um, we're in the point in yeah. time where listings are supposed to start coming to the market. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of the year, you don't see that stuff. People are just packing up their Christmas gear um, and getting ready for New Year's and then starting the new year on whatever path. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, do we start getting our home ready to list? Yeah, this is about the time, March, April, um, and really May is when it kind of kicks it off, right? Yeah. When school gets out. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like the realtor partners that I'm working with, mm-hmm. they're really good as far as the education of of this and with their clients. I'm feeling with the buyers right now, they have a misconception yeah. of what's going on. And it's double-ended with as far as the sales prices are going to drop mm-hmm. and the interest rates are going to go back to two. Mm-hmm. And I know they try to blame the media, but I don't see that anywhere on the media that interest rates are going to go back to 2% no, or no, anything. No, no that's so, a pipe dream. Yeah, so I'm just kind of, where are they getting this yeah. information? Because some of them are holding on to that vision or dream that this is going to happen and, and, that's and what's stats causing. are not showing that. That's where the slowdown's coming in. Mm-hmm. You have buyers that are hitting these high rates or they're on the fence. They're expecting rates to come down. Mm-hmm. So they're not putting in offers, which in turn, you have listings staying on the market longer. Right. Um, you don't have people going and buying laterally. Um, and, and I think that that plays into... Um, these houses being on the market longer. I agree hundred percent um, with that. And I know a home is like the biggest investment or purchase that someone is going to make, but it would be no different than if I said, I'm not going to buy eggs or put gas because it's higher and I'm going to stay at home and I'm just not going to drive anywhere because I'm not going to put gas. Like, That's a damn it, good. Res- you know, yes. it's, yeah. it's the same thing. It is. Uh-huh. Uh, that is comparing eggs to eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I guess I, I, I had lost my train of thought, but I believe the misconception with people is that it is a buyer's market when in reality it's not. Um, but I would say shoot your shot. <laughs> yes, yeah. you, you never know. You might get it $20,000 Well, I mean, we went, uh, we played the video yesterday of of Barbara, and I still don't say her name right. Cochran. Cochran. Is it Cochran? Cochran? I hope so. Cochran? I don't know. Barb's. Barb. Barb, the real estate lady. The real estate guru. The shark. (laughs) But she basically said, in this market right now, what's wrong with throwing 30 offers out there? Lowballing everybody. Right. If you get one that comes back, be willing to jump at it. Don't come back and go, oh, well, now we want this. or Nah. You're playing the the game of, I want to have equity day one. That's what you got to do. But if that's not your goal to, to gain this quick equity... Then just be a home buyer. Find what you're looking for in your price range. Compromise as much as possible because you have the understanding that this is going to grow into something else or be used as a driver for something else down the road. Um, so I don't know what I tell those people. Shit or get off the pot. Right. Really. And you know, she said something yesterday that I could totally relate to because I am I feel like I'm a veteran. I've been yeah. in this business for a long time. But when she started investing into real estate and creating wealth mm-hmm. what did she say interest rates were 17 18 double digits that's right and that's what it was at that time and she said what is all this fuss about right yeah <laughs> i think the only part on that that i think about is like but then housing prices were like 80k they were lower 80. yeah they absolutely were. it's yeah. all perspective correct yeah. 
But I mean, it's it's equaled out across the board, I think. I think so as well. So, and I think um, mortgage. I still think mortgage, I too. I still think mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great. Uh, Yvonne, it was great having you yeah, on today. So and hopefully you can me. come back next week. I will. Yes. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, obviously, before we wrap this up, I want to set the expectations for tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about um, national debt crisis. I've mentioned it a few times, but it is getting serious. People are running out of savings, and we're not talking just in the South. This is nationally. Um, credit uh, limits, credit uh, usage is at its all-time high. Um, and these are actual data points that we're going to bring up and show you. We're also going to be digging deep into appraisals to show you how to read an appraisal report. I think that is valuable information that uh, buyers, uh, sellers, uh, realtors, lenders, you all can use this because there are plenty of times where I get this, hey, um, the appraisal is short and the listing agent comes back and says, well, these are the comps that I use. They're on the report. Well, then you didn't do your um, market analysis correctly, unfortunately. Right. Um, but we're going to show you a little bit of that. Maybe it would take about 15 minutes to, to dissect an appraisal so that everybody oh. is on the same page. At least everybody that tunes in. So yeah. if you are uh, getting something out of this, please share it with a friend. Uh, make sure to comment below. We will always use your feedback in the next uh, coming update. But we're going to stay consistent and true to what we're doing here uh, and continue to think mortgage, you know? Yeah. So without further uh, stance or anything like that, let's dance it out. No, where we do the adapt.